Welcome to Binge Breakthrough, the podcast designed to help you finally break through the barriers that keep you stuck feeling out of control around food. I'm Master Certified Coach Jane Pilger, and I want you to know that no matter how long you've been struggling or what you've tried, food freedom is possible, and I'm here to show you how. After years of therapy, eating disorders treatment, restrictive diets, and reading all the books, I was still stuck in the on-again, off-again cycle of restricting and binging until I was able to see it all from a new perspective that changed everything. Each week, I will share the strategies, tools, and mindset that allowed me to overcome my decades-long battle with binge eating. Your journey to body trust starts now. Let's dive in. Hello, trusted listener. Welcome to Binge Breakthrough. I consider you a trusted listener because I trust that you are listening to this podcast, this very specific episode, for a reason. I trust that you are going to come away from this episode with something that you can apply to your own journey, with an insight, a breakthrough, something that will help you on your journey with food. So last week, I talked about my journey to becoming an athlete. If you haven't checked it out, it might provide a little bit of background and insight for you, but you do not need to have listened to last week's episode to really get what you need from this week's episode. But I do want to build a little bit upon what I talked about, but specifically with a focus on food. A lot of people talk about their journey, what's what they're doing as an athlete without really talking about the food. And the more I dive into the topic of athletic performance and the more I dive into the topic of disordered eating, I see that there is a very large overlap. More and more people are talking about their struggles with food which is so powerful and so important. And what we see is how oftentimes the pressure to perform well or to look a certain way, whether that pressure is coming from inside or from somebody else, that pressure can lead to extended periods of disordered eating. And I'm so glad that more people are talking about this now, that there are more resources, more places you can go to understand you are not alone. If you are struggling with food, it's so powerful that you have resources, whether it's podcasts, books, you name it, there are places to go to get help and to get information. When I was going through my own struggles, especially at the heart of my biggest challenges, nobody was talking about it. We didn't have social media, and most people who were suffering were doing so in silence, including myself. Now, there are still so many people who suffer in silence, people who will not talk about it because they're not ready. Because there's so much shame and judgment over what they are doing, that they they aren't they aren't ready. And that's okay. If that's you, if you are suffering in silence, here's what's powerful. 
You don't have to speak up before you are ready. But what's amazing is you have resources like this, resources like other books, other podcasts, other people who are sharing, who want people to know and to understand, for you to understand that you are not alone. You are not broken. There is such a good reason why you do what you do with food. And the more you can really see and really understand that, then you can start to see all of this with a new lens that will help you overcome, help you start making different choices and different decisions from a place of wanting what is best for you rather than trying to fix yourself because you think you are broken. Now, many people who end up in disordered eating patterns while also pursuing athletic goals This happens everywhere, but there's so much more awareness, education, and advocacy around it. So for me, my disordered eating began before my athletic pursuits began. But for others, the athletic pursuit was the start of the disordered eating. There's no right or wrong. There is no exact, oh, yes, this is this pursuing athletics pursuing growth or performance in athletics leads to disordered eating. I am not saying that at all. But here's what I am saying. There is a very large overlap between disordered eating and the pursuit of athletic growth. So I'm here to share my journey, my own story, just in the event that it is helpful to anyone listening. You might see some of yourself in my story or you might see someone else you know. Or you might not see any of that, but you might think, oh, wow, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how different hers is than mine? So we're not here to say mine is right and yours is wrong, or mine is the way that it's supposed to look, or everybody's looks that way. It's just an opportunity to actually hear somebody else's story. So for me, It's so interesting to me to look back and to reflect on the role of food throughout my athletic journey. I would say my kind of eating was pretty normal, if you can call it that, until the summer before my junior year of high school, where I went on this little mini Peace Corps mission to Paraguay, and I gained 20 pounds in eight weeks. So this quick quick weight gain created stretch marks on my body. I came home, I had these stretch marks, my, many of my clothes did not fit. What's interesting for me to actually look back when it very specifically relates to food, this is actually the same time that I became a vegetarian. So while I was in Paraguay, we lived with this host family. They had, there were 18 chickens running around the, the, their property. They were, a, they were kind of pets, but they were also there for the purposes of of providing food. And so when it was time for them to where they wanted some chicken, we would watch them catch it and kill it and the entire process. And our host mom, her favorite part of this chicken was the head. We would be sitting at the table and there was this chicken head sitting out of our bowl. We really got close to these chickens. We kind of saw them as our pets. And then to sit at the table and to see that was very challenging. I also, while we were there, I heard a pig being slaughtered. And that 
was it. I decided to become a, a vegetarian. It was at the time called a lacto-ovo vegetarian. So basically what that means is that I ate eggs and dairy products. So this was, again, this was the summer before my junior year of high school. I told the story on the podcast last week about volleyball and the, the uniform that we had to wear in volleyball was essentially we were wearing underwear um, on the our bottom half, which meant you could see these brand new red stretch marks on the top of my thighs. This started my very first restrictive diet. So not only was I now not eating any meat, but I was counting calories. I had my little spreadsheet going. I was going to the gym to burn calories. I was reading all about um, I was just any information to lose weight, lose weight fast, you know, lose 10 pounds in seven days, all of these things. I was reading about all of this. I think this was probably also when I first uh, subscribed to Clean Eating Magazine. I was eating a lot of salad, fat-free cottage cheese, and lean cuisine frozen meals. And this was back in the day when fat was perceived as bad. So I avoided anything with extra fat. Now, I went on to college and started binging my very first semester. And when I would binge, it was often on, basically, it was either baked goods, macaroni and cheese, or ice cream. But when I wasn't binging, I was basically eating lean cuisine and healthy choice frozen dinners or cottage cheese. Now, over the years, people would ask me, what, do you think you would ever eat meat again? And they would tell me stories about other people that they knew who had been vegetarian for a long time and whatever happened and they started eating meat. And they would ask me, do you think that would ever happen to you? And I would always say, no, I would never, I will never eat meat again. That will not be me. I was just convinced I will not eat meat again. I'm going to be a vegetarian for the rest of my life. Now, I got into triathlon. Uh, shortly after, I guess my first triathlon was right after we got married. So it's early 2000s at this point. I was still binging. And I was also getting injured fairly frequently. And I was having a hard time healing. I remember, uh, I remember having like a groin strain and it was taking a long time to heal. So I decided, you know, I'm going to go see a nutritionist. She can probably solve my problems if she would just tell me what to eat. I have very distinct memories from, I would say, very, probably very shortly after I started binging, as I was trying to stop and figuring out ways to stop. If somebody would just tell me what to eat, then everything would be fine. If I could be like Oprah Winfrey and have my own personal chef, then everything would be great. I just want somebody to just tell me what to eat, to make all my food for me, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. So I thought, oh, a nutritionist, this will be perfect. She'll tell me what to eat. It'll be great. So she asked me about my eating patterns. And when I told her that I was a vegetarian, she was asking me a bunch of questions. And she asked me, do you think you get enough protein? And I thought about it and I said, well, I'm sure I can. Like, I know I can get enough protein as a vegetarian, but it's probably unlikely that I actually do, given knowing what I eat on a regular basis. And she asked if it's anything I would ever consider. And I really thought about this for a while. And we left to that appointment. And she said, I just want you to just consider it. You don't have to. I'm not telling you to, but just consider. The only reason I could come up with to not eat meat 
was because I said I wouldn't. Because I had told all of these people in the past that I never would eat meat again. And as I reflected on it, I thought, I don't really like that reason. And this is probably the first time that I really explored this concept of knowing your reason for doing something and liking your reason. I didn't like my reason. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try eating meat and see what happens. So I slowly started introducing it and my body loved it. I felt better. I felt stronger. I was healing faster. I was bruising less. Now, this is a disclaimer. This is not for everyone. I am not here to say if you happen to be a vegetarian that you should start eating meat. What I am here to say is that the most powerful thing you can do is connect with your body. What feels good? What feels right in your body? Be willing to experiment. Be willing to question why you make certain decisions around food and if you like your reasons. I think for me, I can look back and say, wow, this probably was the first time I started asking myself, do I like my reasons? And connecting with what felt good and right in my body. Now, when I look back on this, I would love to have really like realized this is what I was doing so that I could continue asking the question, why am I choosing this? Do I want to? Do I like my reasons? Connecting with what felt good in my body. If I could have continued doing those two things, who knows what could have changed for me? But I didn't even realize that's actually what was happening. Only now, as I reflect back, I can see, oh, those two things, those were happening. So as I continue training and I continue to, you know, do these longer distances that I shared about in the in last week's episode, my fueling needs increased. And I did a lot of looking externally for answers. I asked other people, what did what do you do? I compared myself to what other people ate. Now, of course, I never knew what they were doing or what they were eating when I wasn't around. I literally would just like watch if we were at a restaurant together or if we were on a workout together. I was just noticing what they were eating. But here's what I wasn't doing. I did not fully appreciate or even realize at this point how different every body is. And by body, I mean the physical body that each of us have. We all have unique needs, things that feel great in our bodies that might be so different from someone else. So for me, I have discovered eating meat actually feels amazing to me. There are other people who that is not the case at all. So this is not to say that everybody is the same because they are not. During this time, I was also so focused on my weight. There was this constant message underneath, just like this constant message in the background saying, don't eat too much. I was regularly, unintentionally, putting myself into restriction. There were so many times where I would bonk. And if you're not familiar with the term bonking, this basically just means when you run out of energy during a workout. 
You, you don't, you aren't taking in enough to give you the fuel and the energy that you need to sustain your, to sustain your activity. There were a lot of moments of bonking and I actually learned a lot about myself and, and my signs and my signals that I was bonking, but I did this regularly because I was trying not to eat too much. Now, over time, I really got to know what are my signs of bonking? What do I notice in my body? I also discovered a mantra that worked for me, which was this. If I was ever started to wonder, should I take in some additional calories? Should I eat something else right now? The answer was always yes. My husband started noticing how often I was avoiding eating or I was trying to push my hunger or I was trying to push out what I was taking in because I shouldn't need it. Oh, well, I just had this or like I shouldn't I shouldn't need so much food. Or maybe I was comparing myself to somebody else we were there that we were with, that we were training with or riding with and I was noticing they weren't eating that much so I shouldn't need to eat that much. Then as he started noticing this, he started kind of asking me some questions, started eating more. And I had a few workouts where I did eat more intentionally. And I noticed the stark difference in just how much better I felt and how much better I performed. This constant restriction that was happening for me kept me in a restrict binge cycle for a long time. I was on this pendulum. I can actually remember doing, there are at least two or three very specific triathlons that I can think about where I did a triathlon the day after a massive binge. I would think I would not be able to do it, that I wouldn't be able to perform, that I was, you know, had so much food in my body and my stomach was going to be so upset and there was no way that I was going to be able to do it. But then at the end of the day, I would actually end up performing really well. Now I can look back in hindsight and I can see my glycogen stores were probably really very completely replenished and ready to go. So for a long time during my training, I would string together a few good days and then I would binge from anywhere for maybe one to three or four days in a row. And I was convinced at the time that I could not perform after a binge. So I would stay in bed, I would skip workouts, and I would be very down on myself. Basically, I was in shame and judgment, and I was hiding, and I was not believing that anything else was possible for me. And my husband would gently encourage me. So many times, I would feel so much better when I actually would convince myself to just try. Let me just try and see how I feel. And oftentimes, I would feel so much better than I thought I would. Now, that wasn't always the case. There were days I felt terrible. But I gained a lot of evidence over time that binges did not automatically mean that I had to shut myself down. I was able to prove to myself that I was capable of more than I realized. Now, over the years, I sought the guidance of several nutritionists. Some of them were helpful and others, not so much. 
I had one whose philosophy was uh, what he called minimum effective dose, which essentially meant eat as little as possible, just enough to get you to the finish line. So that philosophy, it either worked or it absolutely didn't. It also still really kept me on that pendulum. I had another who was in an active eating disorder at the time I sought help from her. She wasn't in full awareness of it at the time, but I could tell by several signs and symptoms that I was familiar with. Uh, after having spent so many years around people who are in an active eating disorder or around people with disordered eating, I generally can spot the signs and the symptoms um, and the, the comments of somebody who is in an active eating disordered or disordered eating pattern, I should say. Now, this nutritionist has since gone into recovery and she has become very vocal about her journey and also advocating for other female athletes. I have, I did, I learned a lot from her, but I, I can tell that a lot of her advice was kind of steeped in a little bit of kind of restrictive and disordered um, philosophies. Now, I also worked with nutritionists in eating disorder recovery. I went through two rounds of intensive outpatient therapy. And I honestly, I had a hard time with this. I had a hard time with the way that the nutritionist approached it in this recovery, in, in where I was in this treatment. So they would weigh you blind, like so I, we couldn't see the numbers, but they would, they would weigh you, uh, I, I think it was once a week. They would tell, tell you what to eat. So they would tell me what to eat by serving. So have this many servings of this, you know, these different types of foods. But I didn't feel like they were really teaching us why we were eating in certain ways. And they certainly weren't teaching us how to listen to our bodies. It felt very much like they were kind of just monitoring us and telling us what to do but not really giving us the information, the understanding, how to connect, to work with, and to really trust ourselves and our bodies. About 10 years ago, I did some elimination diets. I also did some food intolerance testing. Now, this food intolerance test that I did, it came back and it showed I was allergic to almost everything. And I cut it all out. Gluten, dairy, most nuts, soy, and lots of different fruits and vegetables. Now, of course, when I would binge and I was still binging, I would binge on these things, especially gluten and dairy. So I wasn't exactly eliminating these foods like I thought that I was, but this was always running in the back of my mind that I can't eat all of these other things. And then a few years later, I went even further into restriction. So somebody that I followed and admired suggested that sugar and flour are terrible for bingers and that I should eliminate them completely. I also, right around the same time, I started following Brightline Eating, which gave the same advice. And so I did. I cut them both out. And honestly, I, I lost quite a bit of weight. I also decided to stop snacking. So I pushed my hunger a lot. 
And I believed that whenever I felt hunger signals, whenever I felt my stomach growling and all of these things happening, my body was just eating itself. And I was still exercising extensively for my training and my overall intake. My overall intake of food in general went down, especially because I started, I took all of these things out of my diet. And my carb intake went down significantly. Now, at the time, I thought it was amazing. I had this quote unquote success for a while. And then I returned to binging because these things are not sustainable. I also had many people tell me I was too thin, even though I simply could not see this for myself. So around this time, I started to get really curious about the type of relationship I wanted to have with food. I had spent so long looking to everyone else to tell me what to eat, when to eat, and how much to eat. So when I started looking about what do I want for myself, what relationship do I want with food, I realized I wanted to eat dessert sometimes. I wanted to have cookies and ice cream around the house and just eat them on occasion. I wanted to be able to have one bowl of cereal and not eat the entire box. I wanted to be able to have a snack in the afternoon if I was hungry. I wanted to be able to eat bread and cheese and soy sauce. So I decided to start challenging everything. Little by little, I reintroduced everything back into my diet. My digestion was a little wonky at first, but only for a couple of days. And I was actually shocked that my body handled it all just fine. Now I have zero foods that I restrict other than the ones I just don't like or I don't feel good after I eat. Now, this is not to say that other people who avoid certain foods don't have real intolerances. That is absolutely a real thing. But if you are someone that avoids certain foods, do you do that because you know you have a reaction or because someone said those foods aren't good for you? Did you make the choice for yourself or did someone say that is what you should do? Now, here's what's interesting. The latest trend in endurance nutrition is a fairly or very high carbohydrate intake during extended periods of exercise. So this is something that I have been learning about, I've been informing myself about, and I have been working to incorporate. And it's been challenging for me because with this extended period of restriction that I had and this baseline thought that's kind of underneath the surface of don't eat too much, that has been repeated over the years, it has taken some training for my body to take in more nutrition. So I sought out the help of a nutritionist who specializes in eating disorders and is also a former pro triathlete. And it's been fascinating to watch my experience. It's kind of been the uh, tell me what to eat, don't tell me what to eat experience that I talked about in a previous episode. 
And I've had to really watch myself and my responses to her recommendations. And here's what I've learned for myself. I do my best when I understand the why behind something. If I can understand the purpose behind a recommendation and then allow myself to experiment with it while always keeping my body as the main guiding force to tell me what is working and what isn't, that works for me. It's like my body won't just let me eat what someone else thinks I should without understanding why or how it will benefit me. I deeply trust my body to tell me what to eat and how much to eat. And I also know there's a lot of science and research around endurance fueling that I only know a fraction about. So I think it's important to surround yourself with people who know more than you do and can help you achieve your goals. And my current goal is to maximize my endurance performance while also maximizing my trust and connection with my body. And this takes the five C's that I talk about with my clients. It takes commitment, consistency, courage, curiosity, and celebration. And of course, the one C that is at the heart of every single thing that I do now, and that's connection. Connection with myself and connection with my body. So my athletic journey is not over. And my food journey isn't over. They both can be enhanced by each other. So here are my main takeaways as far as it relates to food and the athletics. Always listen to your body. Don't compare what you are eating to anyone else. You have no idea what their needs are or what they have eaten in the hours or the days before. See food as fuel and an energy source to help your body do amazing things. But also allow fuel, food, allow food to be fun and pleasurable. It doesn't have to only be fuel. Pay attention to how foods feel in your body and how you feel when you eat certain foods. And reach out for help and support if you need it. That's what I have for you this week. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Binge Breakthrough. You can find the show notes and any resources mentioned at bingebreakthrough.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to have future episodes delivered to you each Wednesday. And remember, your five-star rating and review will help others discover these life-changing concepts. See you next week.